the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who have written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams. Welcome once again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Uh, Alan Dempsey does our engineering each weekend. And then uh, another key person is Andrew Herdliska, who produces the show. In this first segment, we go to Huntersville, North Carolina. Erica Catherman is with us. And we're going to talk about her book, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Uh, Erica, wonderful to chat with you. How are you? Great. Thank you for having me. So why was it important to address girls about conquering life, and uh, can life be conquered, Erica? I love that you asked that question. (laughs) I actually um, wrestled with that for a little bit and um, came up with that, you know, we are called to be more than conquerors. Mm -hmm. So, um, in fact, I think that that might be an acceptable title, especially for the next book that's coming out in October, which is Girl's Guide to Conquering Middle School. And I definitely think that's possible. <laughs> well, you break your book down into really practical and interesting topics, so let's get started. The first one is simply called Guys and Dating. That is the first topic, uh, Erica, so let's dive in. Fill us in. Well, you know, I, I've had a, a good number of questions about maybe why this was the first chapter um, or section in the book, and actually it's just especially for late elementary, middle school, young ladies, these are things that they're thinking about a lot. Mm. So um, it also follows suit with um, the books that my husband wrote, The Manual to Manhood. And uh, so it just, you know, we went along in that same direction. But guys in dating, um, important to know, I particularly like in this chapter talking about as uh, young women, knowing yourself first, and um, that quote by Eleanor Roosevelt, friendship with oneself is all important, because without it, one cannot be friends with anyone else in the world, and um, that in all relationships, even dating, that friendship is a good place to begin. What is your advice on when dating should be allowed to start? At what age? Now, I believe that that is definitely up to each family and each situation. Everyone's different, and, um, you know, especially in that time of life, different levels of maturity at different ages. So, you know, I was not allowed to date till I was 16, and that was the rule in our house. So um, I believe that every family needs to come up with what is right in that respect for their family. The second major topic social skills and manners, uh, such items as uh, how to shake hands, how to introduce yourself, uh, how to speak up for yourself. I mean, really practical stuff, Erica. Uh, Tell us more. Yes, very practical, very important. Um, 
I don't know, I like to think in this section, it's about uh, stepping away from maybe the digital devices and learning to speak with people face-to-face and having those interpersonal skills um, just in all areas of life. How to order from a menu, how to wrap a gift, how to make a bed. I mean, practical. Very practical. You have to start with the small things and grow into the larger things. So, um, you know, when, when you can... When you can conquer those small things in life, the, the larger things become a little bit easier or um, just, you know, maybe more possible. Erica Catherman, author of The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Uh, topic number three, Erica, a work, <clears throat> work and ethics. Uh, tell us about that. Work and ethics, very important important uh, portion of the book as we're finding that um, there's there's a little bit of difficulty for this younger generation coming into jobs, not understanding how to fill out applications or go in for an interview or how to speak with bosses or supervisors properly. So again, very practical and seemingly basic, but very important for this uh, next generation to be able to build their basic skills so they can become strong, confident, and capable. A valuable book, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Erica, uh, topic four, wealth and money management. What are you teaching here? Well, again, basic skills here. um, And as far as creating a personal budget and, you know, understanding how to build a savings account, investing for the future, and uh, living debt-free are very important things. And then we get a little bit into, you know, credit card or credit management and just the understanding that, um, you know, you don't want to sink yourself in a hole very early and run out of choices by um, not setting yourself up properly in your financial life. Fifth area. Health and beauty, how to wash your hair, how to apply hair styling product, how to wash your hands properly. Boy, this is right down to the basics. Fill us in. Absolutely. I mean, those are some, some basic things, but um, the, the woman that I interviewed, who I actually got to see yesterday and get my hair done, um, explained that many young women find that their hair is greasy or unmanageable, and she finds that it's often because they're not washing it properly. So even though mom and dad or aunt or whoever has instructed them how to do it, you know, actually getting in and getting it done properly uh, doesn't always happen. And so this is just kind of in there to reinforce maybe what they've already learned or maybe they haven't yet um, so that their hair is more manageable. Um, You know, it does get into shaving legs and and things like that. So maybe a little bit less basic, but uh, important to have a guide on how to do that. You know, freshening bad breath, also very important. Could also be a part in uh, the social skills and manners when we're talking to people. But um, just some, like you said, practical things that uh, help get us through. How to apply nail polish. How to wash your face. How to trim your fingernails. Fascinating. Well, 
trimming your fingernails is, you know, something that we all have to do. And sometimes we have to remind our young ones to get it done. And this is just a guide to help them do that. Applying nail polish, absolutely. Very fun. Um, you know, lots of young ladies like to have that done or, or do that. And sometimes, you know, maybe the, the dad wants to learn how to do it too. So they can check it out in this book on page 133. Erica Catherman, the author of The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Topic number six, clothes and fashion. Uh, Tell us all about that, Erica. Well, I think, uh, obviously, by starting this section with how to do your laundry, cleaning your clothes is an important part. So no matter where you shop or whatever type of clothes you choose, whatever your style is, that uh, you understand how to take care of them and looking your best by having clean and put together items. Wearing a scarf, mm-hmm. you know, there's some really simple instructions on how to do that. Throw a little style into the mix. And um, and then how to deal with some things like, you know, treating a stain, folding a shirt. So how you keep your clothes, where you put them, um, all important things. Now, number seven is called sports and recreation. Uh, what's going on here? I love this. It's important to me in my life. I've always been involved with sports um, and physical fitness, and I think it's important for all young people and young women to be part of a group, part of a a team, um, part of a place that they can work together and belong. Now, if they don't necessarily play sports, that doesn't mean that they don't need to be active, and some of the things in here are just some basic skills. So even if they play, you know, a game at the park of, of soccer or volleyball, that they'll have some basic skills on how to do that so that they can be involved and be active. I think it's important for young people to learn how to, <clears throat> how to bowl, for example. Uh, I love bowling. <laughs> there, there, there could always be a school bowling party. Um, Absolutely. Golf is an is a important business sport, I've found. Uh, so uh, good, good counsel there. Erica Catherman, our guest, talking about her book, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. We've got another segment with Erica, uh, so stay with us. You're listening to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Are you drowning in IRS tax debt? I owe the IRS $37,000. Get ready for a toll-free hotline. Take advantage of new IRS tax forgiveness programs that may protect you from IRS collection agencies. They have the power to garnish your wages, put liens on your property, and levy your bank account. Civic Tax Relief can help protect you from the IRS. Civic Tax Relief basically represented me against the IRS, and by the time everything was completed, I didn't owe the IRS anything. Find out about the Fresh Start program that is now available through Civic Tax Relief. Civic Tax Relief's special tax hotline can help you discover all the relief programs available for free. I would recommend anyone who has a tax problem to contact Civic Tax Relief. Just call 800-210-6779. 800-210-6779. Don't wait. Call now. 800-210-6779. 800-210-6779. 
Hi, I'm Barbara Sandbeck, your host on Grace Notes, a 15-minute program that contains biblical teaching and a wide variety of music. Some of the subjects we address are, why do we have trials and cultivating intimacy with God? You can listen right here on WTLN every Sunday at 2.45 p.m. Can't catch the whole broadcast? Visit our podcast on the web 24-7 on WTLN.com. So tune in. You won't want to miss it. Entrepreneurs, mark your calendars for the only business show on Christian Radio, Saturday at 2 p.m. Join former Hoverboard CEO Dr. Roland Roberts as he interviews world-renowned business owners and takes your calls to answer your most pressing business questions. Brent, welcome to Kingdompreneur Radio. What's your greatest struggle today? Uh, we're a small business out of Orlando here. Uh, we've got a uh, backpack company that we're trying to grow. See what the fuss is all about at www.kingdompreneurradio.com. And join Kingdompreneur Radio with Dr. Roland Roberts every Saturday afternoon, 2 p.m. Eastern on 94.9. FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Erica Catherman is with us from uh, North Carolina. Uh, The book is called The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Erica, the eighth topic, cars and driving. Uh, What are you telling uh, young people? girls about this one well i love this i was able to interview allison borman as the uh, chapter lead so you'll definitely want to get in and read on that and you know driver safety and understanding uh the rules of the road are you know important progression in life the net one of the next steps one of those big um you know points in life that that there's some freedom involved but with freedom comes responsibility and so knowing how to change a flat tire, jumpstart a dead battery, um, you know, even even maybe checking the oil, but parallel parking, all things that are practically used while driving, um, how to behave after an auto accident. These are some simple guidelines on how to behave in the situation in a very important time in life um, and being able to do them with a little bit of confidence and class. And how to behave during a police stop. What's your advice there? Absolutely. How to, how to behave during a police stop. Um, I love that we break these how-tos into step-by-steps uh, when you get pulled over and step two, staying in the car. So on page 214, it goes through the rest of the steps on how to behave. And I also love that we do some fact or fiction and some, you know, some trips and t- tricks um, throughout the book. Uh, topic number nine is food and cooking, Erica. Uh, what, what are the topics here? What are you teaching? Again, very uh, practical skills, how to make a grocery list and stock a pantry, um, how to brew coffee. I love that part. Um, making pancakes from scratch, not just out of the box, uh, kind of makes it step up a little bit in its flavor profile. So all of these things, being able to cook for ourselves is an important part of life. It's you know, we have to eat, and you might as well know how to do it. And if you can learn how to do it well, that's even better. Uh, how about uh, grilling a steak and grilling pork chops? Uh, now, at what age? These are 12, 13, 14-year-old kids that are going to be doing this? Well, I can tell you my boys were, were definitely uh, working with eggs and, and uh, maybe mm-hmm. some bacon, mm-hmm. uh, which is a little bit tricky because it spatters. So, you know, again, it goes back to what... Um, 
the, the parents or the people in charge, guardians feel is the right age for, for that particular person. But, you know, um, grilling a steak, like you said, these are some basic practical guide advice. So, you know, I think it's, you can learn that at a pretty decent young age. How about <clears throat> topic 10, tools and fix it? Yes, tools and fix it. Um, I was able to interview somebody for the beginning of this who has developed an awesome program for young women, Emily Peloton, and uh, she helps them to understand design and building and have them be confident and capable in that particular area of life. I think it's important as young women, as women, to be able to take care of some of these things, um, have our own toolkit, and be able to swing a hammer, um, let alone using a circular saw, but using a drill. These are all things that we uh, should be able to do on our own. How to use a crowbar. How to unclog a toilet. Uh, Very important. (laughs) Yeah. How to uh, check the circuit breakers. Oh, boy. Yes. Uh, fortunately, yeah. my fortunately my wife does all of that, Erica. I, That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I I, bet she does. I yeah. just I just panic and and she takes care of it. So she well, she, and turning off the toilet water line also. You know, a lot of times if if the toilet gets out of control, they're not quite sure how to stop the water. Yeah. So good stuff. Good good things to know how to do. Now now you did ten topics. Were, were there any more that you wanted to do and couldn't do of these 10, or is, does this cover the waterfront? Oh, I think this is a great place to start. Um, sure, there's more topics in life and, and more things to get through uh, and to, but that's part of the adventure in life, and so we get to adventure on. Um, how many years, by the way, have you spent mentoring young men and women? It seems that uh, this is a passion of yours. Well, my husband and I uh, met in youth group, and uh, after some dating and then some time apart and some time back together, um, we have spent the whole time working with youth in churches and um, sports organizations for myself. And yeah, you know, mentoring this next generation uh, has been a, a very big portion of our lives. Look back over your life, Erica. Uh, if this book had been available back when you were 13 or 14 or 12, uh, what difference would that have made in your life? Well, I, I, I am very blessed and thankful that I had a mom there to help guide me. Even sometimes when I didn't, didn't turn to her, um, she was there and had fantastic advice and now have a fantastic, have had a fantastic mother-in-law for over uh, 21 years. And um, having women in your life that can help uh, guide you through, mentor you to the next portions of your life um, are very important. I think that this book is can be used as a tool, um, whether you know a young woman would like to check it out on her own and just have an idea and then have those reinforced by the mom, the mentor in their life. Um, I definitely would have checked this out as a young woman and uh, would have loved to have some of this knowledge to uh, help build my life skills and, you know, some personal character, too. Would you speak, uh, Erica, to parents for a minute and just tell uh, parents 
what it takes to be an all-star mom and dad. An all-star mom and dad, I think when when you have your best your kid's best interest in mind, uh, that is the most important, guiding them in the way that they should go and uh, helping them to discover and become uh, all they've been created to be. I want you to talk about the faith dimension of, of uh, your advice to young people. Uh, what do you tell young people about a walk with Christ and living a Christian life? Do you have counsel for them? Absolutely. Look, for me, my faith is central to who I am. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's where we all need to begin, which is on your center, your rock, your foundation. And when you can make choices from that and, um, and then open yourself up to let God pursue his interest in you, um, that's when your path is made straight. And, um, you know, there's light to where you're going, and it's the path of, of love. And, and when we can come from that place in our lives and move forward and make decisions from that, um, everything's not easy all the time. Uh, there are struggles, but those struggles can help us, um, you know, become who, who we're intended to be, wh- who we were created to be. Tell me about your husband, Erica. My fantastic husband, Jonathan, yes, yeah, he, he definitely has a call to this upcoming generation and uh, helping young men, young women, um, discover and all, become all that God has made them to be, um, finding their goals, priorities, and their beliefs and values um, to become, you know, what, what they've been inspired, what they've been... Uh, what they've been made for. Erica, tell me about your children and how they have benefited uh, from the two of you and what you write about and what you teach. Well, I hope they've benefited from us. I've absolutely, um, I love, love being a mom, love that uh, we get to be a part of these two boys' lives and uh, help, help you know, we promised to nurture and mentor them and uh, to guide them in the way sh- they should go. And, you know, some of that is spending a lot of time in prayer. And and that's what we do. We spend a lot of time in prayer for our boys, with our boys, and uh, hope that, you know, how we've brought them up and how we're bringing them up is a benefit to them and to others. So, Erica... How many more guidebooks do you have packed away in your brain here that you want to do? <laughs> well, for now, like I mentioned, we do have the Girls' Guide Conquering Middle School coming out, and I'm very excited about that. That's a great resource for uh, young girls who are just going to cross that bridge over into middle school, which can be a very fearful time in life. And uh, so this is just maybe a guide for them to be a, to be fearless in that. And uh and then let that build into fearlessness elsewhere in life. So, and then from there, we'll see. So, Erica, what do you tell middle school girls? What, what, uh, what, what's your counsel overall? What, what, what are their issues? I will tell you I will stick to two. Be kind, be fearless. 
be kind to yourself first and be kind to others. And um, I think if we could all be a little bit more kind to ourselves and to one another, we would maybe see some changes um, across the board in life. And to be fearless, to be kind. Sometimes it's a little scary because you're putting yourself out there to possibly be, um, you know, criticized or ridiculed by someone else. And so to remain fearless and strong uh, in who you are. How concerned are you about bullying going on out there? Do you, do you pick up a lot of it? Do you see it? You know, not only am I concerned with it, but I'm concerned with it because I hear it from um, these young women who are going in, or these young ladies going into middle school. They're afraid of who may be picking on them or bullying them, whether it's in person uh, and even more so now digitally. And I think that that's something that, um, that we need to be vigilant of as uh, parents, as mentors, as, um, you know, the people guiding the young people in life today that, that, um, again, back to kindness needs to start with the person and move out to others. And when you're dealing with somebody who's not being kind and maybe the opposite, um, it's important to understand how to deal with that. How concerned are you about young people addicted to screens, movie screens, TV screens, computer yeah. screens, video yeah. games. Does that, does that trouble you? Um, it concerns me. It's definitely, uh, you know, as having a 14-year-old who loves to have screen time, it's something that we deal with in our house on a regular basis. And setting guidelines and um, trying to stick with those, I think, is super important. And I, I know that it's a it's both for boys and girls, you know, playing these games and having their digital lives, whether that's um, on their phones or computers, it's um, something that needs to be monitored. That's our job is to help, um, you know, help guide them and to help them learn to set boundaries so that later on they can set their own boundaries. How do you monitor friends in the life of our children? I think that's also become a little bit more difficult these days with the phones being such an easy access item for young people. I think, uh, you know, being able to understand that their devices do not belong to them. They belong to us. So my, my sons don't own phones. We own them and we let them use them and, um, we have access to them. I don't want to, you know, invade on their privacy, if you will, but that there's an openness and an openness in communication between us that, you know, if they're having an issue or they're having a situation that um, we're able to get in and speak on that with them and have a conversation and, again, help them understand what parameters are and, and maybe some boundaries in communication online and offline. My guest... And she's been a good one, folks. Erica Catherman, good, solid counsel from North Carolina, Huntersville. That's where Erica hangs out. Uh, the book, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Uh, we've got a wrap-up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. 
more of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Guest in that first segment, Erica Catherman uh, from Huntersville, North Carolina, talking about the Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. Uh, We are way, way, way up in the Pacific Northwest, folks, uh, right up on the Canadian border in the state of Washington. Michael Heiser is there, scholar-in-residence at Logos Bible Software. His new book is out, uh, author of the Brief Insights. That's the series, and we're going to talk about Brief Insights on Mastering the Bible. Should be a great half hour. Michael, great to visit with you. Thanks for plugging in here with me. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Hey, Mike, tell me about this series, Brief Insights. What's the background here? Well, the background is I wanted to create something that was sort of pithy. Uh, People could read something about Scripture or Bible study or doctrine. Those are the three in the series in a minute. So they could get a little bit of little dose every day from, you know, from a scholar. How do scholars think about the Bible? Um, A lot of people sort of in their Bible study, follow a, a rote method or a procedure that sort of leads to a predetermined end. But in all my years of teaching and writing and lecturing and all that stuff, I think the most important skill you can develop in Bible study is learning how to think well. And so that's what I'm trying to do, trying to get people to ask the right questions. Brief insights on mastering the Bible. Let's get started. Part one. Let the Bible be what it is. Uh, explain all that, Michael. Jump in on that, please. Yeah, that, that is the single most valuable piece of advice I can give anybody. <clears throat> you know, oftentimes we, have, we approach the Bible trying to make it answer questions that we have that the writers didn't have and that God never really prompted them to answer. And when we do that, we, we unconsciously substitute our context for the Bible's own context. So we're a lot better off if we just try to understand Scripture in light of its own context, the context that produced it, the context of the writers, and go with that. Just let it be what it is, and therefore we wouldn't have to force interpretations on the Bible and misapply it, you know, by having it answer questions or entertain subjects that it really was never intended to do. Part two, let the ancient Israelites be who they were. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. this is this is a corollary naturally to the, the first point. You know, my goal in really in, in, in almost everything I write is I want the ancient person, the ancient Israelite, the first century Jew, I want that person living in your head. You know, we've Mm. all been in, you know, these small group Bible studies where we sit around in a circle and we're, you know, we've read a passage and then the leader will say, hey, what what do you think this means? Or what does this mean to you? If we had an ancient Israelite in the room, in that circle, when you got to that guy, his answer would be dramatically different and probably bizarre, you know, quite, quite apart from anything that any of us in the circle had ever heard. And that's because he comes from a different time and a different place. He's actually from the ancient context that produced the Bible. And so there's this disconnect, just an inherent disconnect between 
the people that God prompted to write Scripture, what they were thinking, what was inside their head, how did they look at the world? And ourselves, you know, our time, our, our place, you know, there, there's, this, there's this disconnect, but it can, be, it can be solved. There can be a bridge to that. We have so many tools nowadays, and we have a lot of good teaching that will help us think like the ancient writer and the original reader. And that will make all sorts of strange passages in the Bible make sense. We'll, we'll understand what they mean. We'll understand how they connect to other passages. If we can just start to think the thoughts of the writer in, in our own head. And so that's what I try to do in a very condensed form in these three books. Try to get that original author and his original reader living in your head. Here's part three. Let the biblical writers do what they did. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, this one, this section is really about kind of the things that you, you run into in Scripture. I'll just give the audience a few ideas of, of the, the, uh, the chapters here. The biblical writers were literary artists. They actually used specific literary techniques. They weren't amateurs. Everything in the Bible is intelligently done. It's not random. Biblical writers used translations, believe it or not, just like we do. Biblical writers didn't always intend to be taken literally. Each one of these, again, is about a minute long, and I give you specific examples. But we need to start thinking about this thing we call the Bible, not as sort of a paranormal event, where somebody's sitting at breakfast one day and God just zaps them, or like the Matrix, plugs something into their head and downloads words, and then they sort of come out of it and look down at the table. It's like, wow, I, did I write that? I can't wait to read it. Uh-huh. No, it, it's, they're intelligent people. God prepared them providentially from the time they were born up until the occasion when, when he prompted them to write something. And there's an agenda, and that's a good word. They're trying to communicate something specific to their world and their audience. And we need to start thinking of the biblical writers in this way, as professionals, as intelligent writers with deliberate things to say, and they're doing deliberate things to do that. Michael Heiser is with us, author of the Brief Insight series. Uh, here is part four of your latest book, Michael. Let the first five books of the Bible be what they are. Yeah, I'm trying to frame, uh, you know, the rest of the Bible, really, in this section, because the Torah is so foundational, the first five books. I'll give you an example again. One of the chapters is, The covenant sign of circumcision was a theological statement for Israelite men and women. And uh, we we tend to think of circumcision very obviously and naturally as this male-oriented thing, but it was actually a sign uh, for women. We say, how in the world could that work? Well, every time they were supposed to marry Israelite men, every time you know they you know had sex, they had a child, they would know, they would be reminded by virtue of you know their husband's anatomy. Let's be you know real about it of something. What would they be reminded of? What what was circumcision even for? It wasn't a hygienic thing. It was, it was so that everyone, man and woman, in the, in the nation of Israel would remember that their entirety as a people was begun by a supernatural intervention 
between a man and a woman, Abraham and Sarah. Sarah unable to conceive and have a child. And so this wasn't just something that you would do to the man to sort of make him different than a Gentile. It did that, but it also was a reminder. It was, it was, a, it was a sign. It was a token, you know, visual reminder of where in the world we came from and who's responsible for us even existing. So it was an important theological statement. But we often just don't think of things in the Torah like that. Um, <clears throat> you know, we, we forget for instance, that Israelites, you know, they took the gods of the nation seriously. We tend not to do that. When an Israelite would say, when Moses said that Yahweh is the God of all gods, who is like you among the gods, he actually meant what he said. When the Bible a dozen times or so says that, it, you know, the God of the Bible is the God of all gods, they actually mean it because they, they believe that the gods of the nations were spirit beings. You know, we would think of them as demons now. But they were spiritual entities. When God says to Moses at the Passover, this night I will have victory over the gods of Egypt, he wasn't saying this night I'm going to have victory over beings that really don't exist and then give Moses a wink. He was serious about it. This is, this is the root, it's the Torah root of what we now call spiritual warfare. It's developed later in Daniel 10 with gods assigned to nations and and whatnot, where you have the Prince of Persia, Prince of Greece, all that kind of stuff. It has a root here in the Torah. And it's really important, again, to the way Israelites looked at the world and the way later people like Paul looked at the world as well. Mike, let's move to part five. Let the historical books be what they are, you tell us. Yeah, some of the sections I have here, I think, again, are just, these are key insights that will just help you become a better reader. Uh, For instance, with the notion that uh, God never intended Israel to have a king, that's really not what the the Scripture says. Deuteronomy gives them rules for a king. The real issue, if you remember the Samuel story, when Samuel's hesitant to anoint Saul as king, is that they want a king to, quote, be like the other nations, someone that will go out and go in for us. In other words, go out to war. What they were replacing was God's own role as deliverer. That was the problem. They, they were supposed to have a king according to the laws of Deuteronomy, but the king was not supposed to replace the role of God as their protector. You know, they, and that's what happened. They forgot God. Another chapter is the book of Chronicles contains propaganda by design. If you compare Chronicles with Samuel, these are like, you know, we're used to having synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They're they're really similar. They tell the same stories in different ways. Chronicles and Samuel do the same thing. Well, the chronicler omits all of the bad stuff about David that you read in Samuel. Why does he do that? Well, it links to when Chronicles was written. Chronicles was written very late. Israel was in trouble. The nation was in trouble with exile. And so the writer wants people to remember what life could have been like under the ideal king, the way life was supposed to be. And, you know, so, so they do things deliberately to get their readers to think certain thoughts. But we don't, we tend to not read Scripture as intelligently as we could, again, because we lack the context and we lack a sense of intention behind the biblical writer. Now, Mike, 
Uh-huh. We move to topic number six. Let the prophetic books be what they are, you tell us. Yeah, I, 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 one, of, one of the favorite uh, chapters in this section, at least as I've been told through email or interviews or, or going out and meeting people, is that Messianic prophecy was deliberately cryptic. You know, we, we, we tend to get a good laugh in the Gospels about how the disciples, even after the resurrection, sort of didn't know what was going on. I mean, there's that scene in the upper room where the resurrected Jesus appears to them, and, the, and Luke actually says he had to open their minds to understand. And, and, I mean, the resurrected Christ is standing right in front of them, and they still don't get it, so we get a good chuckle about that. Well, the reason they don't understand is because Messianic prophecy, there's no passage that you can go to to get Messiah is going to be God in the flesh, He's going to die. He's going to rise again. The whole thing is about taking away the sins of the world. There's no one passage that has all those elements and others, you know, virgin born, all that stuff. It's because that messaging is splintered in dozens of passages. It looks easy for us because we have hindsight. And eventually the, the people who wrote the New Testament, they could look back and sort of put it together. Of course, you know, they were aided by the Spirit as well, but up front, all of that was just sort of unknowable. Where, where are the pieces and how do they fit? And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that that was by design. Paul says, had the rulers of this world known, and rulers of this world is a term that the New Testament uses for Satan and, and demons and things like that, had the rulers of this world known what was going to happen as a result of the crucifixion, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. The plan, the thing that needs to happen, the death of the Messiah, was never overtly telegraphed, because God wanted to hide it from the powers of darkness. It, again, it's planned, it's deliberate, it's intentional, but we, again, we, we just sort of don't read Scripture this way. We don't have, again, the context of all these things in our heads. And it's really important, because there's a lot that lies under the surface of the Bible that we read every day that we're just missing, and it's really fascinating stuff. Our guest is Michael Heiser from out in the state of Washington. His book, Brief Insight Series, we're in the middle of a good one right now, more with Michael right after these messages on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, right here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Join Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, as he opens God's Word every Sunday afternoon at 530 on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. If you missed the Sunday broadcast, you can listen and study along with Dr. Jordan 24-7 at WTLN.com by clicking on the podcast tab and then Riches of Grace. Riches of Grace, a service of Grace Impact Ministries at graceimpact.org. 530 Sunday on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Message and data rates may apply. Texting and rolls for recurring text messages. 
Nice game. Man, you're really playing hard today. Yeah, shows what a great night's sleep will do. You know, since I started using Z-Quiet for my snoring, there's no more waking up getting elbowed and no more moving to the couch in the middle of the night. You know, for the first time in years, the snoring's gone, and my wife and I both wake up feeling great. It's amazing, so easy to use, and it worked the very first night. I'm Dan Webster, co-founder of Z-Quiet. For years, I was off my game due to snoring. My wife Trina and I were desperate for a solution, and we found it with Z-Quiet. There's nothing better than waking up feeling rested, happy, and best of all, in the same bed. So if you're ready to score extra points in the bedroom, get Z-Quiet. Z-Quiet fits both men and women, and right now you can try it risk-free for a full 30 days for just $9.95. Just text SLEEP to 246810 or go to GetZQuiet.com. Text SLEEP to 246810 or go to GetZQuiet.com. This is Dennis McKenzie for Families by Design. Strong families are designed by God. Do you want your family designed by God? For inspirational principles for today's families, listen to Families by Design with your host, Dr. Daniel Forbes and Kevin Picorni. Families by Design airs every Sunday at 9 p.m. That's Families by Design right here, 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Michael Heiser has joined us here to talk about his book, Brief Insights. It's a series, actually, but uh, Michael is uh, covering it thoroughly. Let's get to part seven, Mike. Let the wisdom books be what they are, you tell us. Yeah, wisdom books are, drum roll please, about wisdom. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're guides for practical living. Now that's, that's saying it in, in sort of a short way that lots of people have probably heard. But it also tells you what they're not. Okay, wisdom books, for instance, are not prophecies. Okay, proverbs are not prophecies or, you know, dyed-in-the-wool, absolutely certain promises. They're not prophecies. You know, when, when Proverbs says, train up a child in the way he, he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. I mean, we, all of us know people, and it, it, we may include ourselves, you know, depending on the circumstance, where we have done everything we can imagine to do to direct the hearts of our kids toward the Lord, and, and they just, they go their own way. Well, well, did God fail? Did the prophecy fail? No, it wasn't a prophecy. It was a principle. A proverb is a, is a, is a maxim. It's a thing that more often than not is true. It's a guide for living. Ancient people knew the difference between a proverb and a prophecy. And we sometimes, you know, forget the, the distinction, but the biblical writers knew this as well. Another example is the book of Job is not primarily about suffering. Now, there's a lot of suffering in there. Obviously, you know, Job has become, pardon the expression, proverbial uh, for suffering. But if you remember the prologue to Job, God has been challenged by a sort of an uppity member of the spirit world. And what, what happens there when that figure challenges God's assessment of Job? Remember, God says, hey, you know, have, have you seen, you know, Job, that, boy, there's just nobody like this guy. He's blameless, and what a wonderful guy. And then, you know, the, the, the figure, the adversary, comes to God and says, yeah, 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 we, we get that. But the reason he's that way is because 
you've done all this good stuff for him. If you take away this, you take away that, you, you let me, you know, do this and that to him, he's going to curse you to your face. So God's omniscience has been challenged. God's integrity has been challenged. And the story of Job is really about God vindicating his own character. Now, in the process of that, Job is going to suffer. God permits Job to suffer up to the point of death, and, and, and that's because God doesn't want anybody in the heavenly host to say, oh, yeah, well, he, Job passed the test, but if you had done this over here, no, no, he says, do everything you can. And in the end, Job's integrity holds. He does not curse God, and God is shown to be correct. So a lot of times, you know, suffering, we don't know why it happens, but in this case, we know that there's something even greater at stake, and that is, again, the character of God himself. Michael, I want you to explain the next topic. Let the Gospels be what they are, you tell us. Gospels, like any other place in Scripture, are intelligently, intentionally, created, that the content in them is there for a reason. You know, again, we're familiar with synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they're very similar. Ninety percent of John is not in the other three. Mm. And why is that? Well, John has his own agenda. So I have a section here on each Gospel writer had his own agenda. What that means is each one had a specific audience in mind. They were writing to a specific audience. And that's going to dictate their message and how they communicate their message. So uh, we get three of them that are sort of in stereo, and then John's the outlier, but John has a reason for being different. Another example is biblical genealogies are at times artificial. doesn't mean they don't convey historical reality, but they are structured intentionally. Matthew's Gospel. Now, why does Matthew have three sets of 14 names? If you compare them to the Old Testament genealogies, names are skipped, again, to create this threefold structure. I have a little section on why that's the case. It's really the case to communicate something specific, very cryptically, but to, to us it's cryptic, to a Jew they would have gotten this, about David, about King David. And this is intentional, because Matthew doesn't have us in mind when he's writing. See, the Bible was written for us, but it was not written to us. Matthew has an audience in mind that will pick up what he's laying down. They will, they will pick up the breadcrumb trail and follow it, because he's communicating in ways that they will grasp. And it's our job as Bible students, again, to have the author and the original audience living in our heads so that we can pick up what they're doing. It takes some work, and so the, this, the whole series is really about shortcuts. It's about getting readers to ask the right questions, directing them to where they can find the right answers, or framing a specific issue in such a way that they will be able to parse what's going on in a particular section of the Bible, in a particular book of the Bible, or a particular passage. Michael Heiser is our guest. Brief insights. Let the book of Acts be what it is. Uh, what's the story here, Mike? Well, you know, Acts, again, is a very familiar book. Sometimes, you know, we, we skip over things just without even knowing it. Uh, one of my favorite 
sections in this book, favorite chapters, is number 62 of the book. The, the events of Acts 2 launched the reversal of what happened at the Tower of Babel. Now, everybody knows the story of the Tower of Babel. How many times you know, do we teach this in Sunday school? Genesis 11, the first nine verses. But what nobody does is nobody goes to Deuteronomy 32, 8, and 9 to talk about Babel. That passage says, when the Most High, and we know who that is, it's not a brain teaser, when the Most High divided up the nations, there's your reference to Babel, and he set the borders of the peoples, he divided them up according to the number of the sons of God. But Israel was Yahweh's portion, Jacob is his allotted inheritance. What happens at Babel is God divorces humanity. He disinherits all the nations. There are 70 nations. We get them listed in Genesis 10, right before the Babel event. He says goodbye to them, and he assigns them. It's really kind of a curse. He punishes them by assigning them to lesser spirit beings. This is the Old Testament explanation for why humanity drifted from everybody knows the same one true God to worshiping idols, worshiping other gods and pantheons. It's because God judged them. Well, the book of Acts, if you go through the nations listed at Pentecost, the book of Acts begins from east to west, and it starts gobbling up, not just Acts 2, but the whole book. The place names in the book start hitting all of the areas and all of the places that were disinherited back in Genesis 10. The only outlier, after you get up to Acts 10, is Tarshish in the original list in Genesis 10. Tarshish, on a map, is Spain. This is why Paul, at the end of his life, was so intent. He mentions it twice in Romans 15. I have to get to Spain. There he is in chains. He's on the way to see the Caesar. Nobody knows what's going to happen to him. Paul writes the letter of Romans and says, hey, I can't wait to see you guys, but I'm only going to be there a little while on my way to Spain. Paul has this sense that I have to hit every Gentile nation that was disinherited back at the Babel event, before I can say I did the job. I am the apostle to the Gentiles. I personally believe that Paul believed he would not die until he hit Spain, because mm-hmm. then it's mission accomplished. Yet all of this is running under the surface of Acts, and of course back here at the Babel event, and we just read over things like this. We need the lay of the land. We need to have the Old Testament context really the ancient writer's context in our heads, to grasp even passages as familiar as the Pentecost event. My guest has been Michael Heiser, scholar-in-residence at the Logos Bible Software. We've been talking with him about his book, part of the Brief Insight series, and it's been fascinating. We will have a wrap-up, folks, right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. This is 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word, in Orlando. And remember, faith comes by hearing. More of the Pat Williams Power Hour in just a moment on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word.
Nobody really needs or wants home security until it's too late. You've heard the statistics about how many burglaries there are per day. You see the news. You know there are people out there that do bad things. The best way to help protect your home and your property is with an ADT monitored system from Protect Your Home, an ADT-authorized premier provider. Call right now to get a free wireless home security system valued at $850. An ADT monitored system can help protect your home from fires, theft, floods, and call for emergency help. Call now to find out more about our $850 free wireless home security system and start enjoying the peace of mind of security today. 800-817-2797. 800-817-2797. 800-817-2797. This offer is for new customers only. Termination fees apply. $99 customer installation charge and 36-month monitoring agreement required. Offer expires 12-31-16. Offer details, license terms, and conditions available at secureathome.com. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour on 94.9 FM and AM 950. The Word. Now, once again, here's Pat. Well, folks, thanks for plugging in here with us uh, on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Uh, Erica Catherman was with us in that first segment talking about her book, The Girl's Guide to Conquering Life. And then Michael Heiser joined us uh, to give us some wonderful insights from his series, a uh, series of books that he's been writing, Brief Insights. Uh, we enjoyed both of them. Uh, please visit my website. It's patwilliams.com, the Twitter page, Orlando Magic Pat. And check out my most recent book. It's called Coach Wooden's Forgotten Teams. It's a look at uh, the great John Wooden and his summer camps that he ran for many, many years. Some uh, delightful insights about uh, America's greatest coach. In the meantime, have a great day in church tomorrow, and we're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour here on 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word in Orlando. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at the same time where faith comes by hearing. 94.9 FM and AM 950, The Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.